Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Inside Clemson Football with Levon Kirkland. I'm Will Vandervoort. Coming up on this week's podcast, it's all about the Super Bowl. Me and Levon take a look at Super Bowl 55 and break down the game, the quarterbacks, and more. We also put a Clemson spin on the big game as four former Tigers will represent the Tigers. Rashawn Breeland, Dorian O'Daniel, and Sammy Watkins for Kansas City, and punter Bradley Pinion for Tampa Bay. But as I said, the Super Bowl is here, and you can get in on all the action at betonline.ag. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the first team in Super Bowl history to host a Super Bowl. However, the Bucs are currently a three-and-a-half point underdog to defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City. The Chiefs are looking to become the first team since 2004 to win back-to-back Super Bowls. So if you want to bet on the Bucks or the Chiefs, go to Bet Online. It's the place to go. Bet Online also has hundreds of props on the game, including game MVP, margin of victory, and even the length of the national anthem. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of everything. It's always available online or on your mobile devices. So visit betonline.ag today. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. All right, welcome to Super Bowl week on the Clemson Insider with Levon Kirkham podcast as we get you set for Super Bowl 55. Um, I'm excited about it because it's, it's, I think, you know, you got the, I think I saw this on uh, Good Morning Football, Levon, um, <clears throat> last week um, that they, they started talking about the GOAT versus the kid and anybody who knows anything about goat farming knows a baby goat is called the kid well goat as we all know is tom brady no doubt Mm -hmm. making his 10th super bowl appearance has won six of them um if he wins this week he'll have more super bowl titles than our beloved pittsburgh steelers which kind of sucks but hey it is what it is um and and then on the other side of it you got pat patrick mahomes the kid um, mm-hmm. who's already been to one Super Bowl and won it, was Super Bowl MVP. Now he's going to his second Super Bowl and going up against. So it's like a changing of the guard, right, LeVon? Don't you think this would – I mean, look, I think Tom Brady, maybe he has one more in him. But regardless, I think he's passing the baton over here to a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't really – I'm really looking forward to watching this game because you really got one OG – that's been on the scene for a long time, man. He's been, he's respected. He's a made man. He's a guy that when he walks in the room, people bow down to him. They give him free dinners and all that. And then on the other side of the story, you got a young guy who did it all last year. MVP, Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP. One of the hottest young guys out there. Now, it's really about who is going to win that game. Will it be the OG or will it be the newcomer? So I think it's amazingly exciting. I think that Tom Brady will be looked at as one of the best quarterbacks who ever played, probably the greatest. But this Patrick Mahomes kid has the opportunity to trump Tom Brady, if you can really believe that. Especially, it would add so much to his legacy if he beats Tom Brady this time around. 
that would be great for him. Tom really doesn't need it as much as Patrick does. So I think if you're looking at it from a, a storyline, the NFL is like, yes, <laughs> this is the this was the matchup we wanted the whole time. So the NFL wins. I think the fans win. And I think between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, we'll see who wins. But this game generates a lot of electricity. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Well, hopefully this Super Bowl is as good as the last time Tampa hosted a Super Bowl. <laughs> and, of course, I'm referring to Super Bowl 43 mm-hmm. when our Pittsburgh Steelers um, came back and won the Super Bowl in the last seconds of the game with Ben Roethlisberger finding Santonio Holmes in the, in the right corner of the end zone. As a matter of fact, you want to know a piece of trivia? This only relates to me and you because we're, we're right. Steeler fans. But did you realize that in that end zone, okay, Clemson won its national championship, right? Right. In Tampa. Mm-hmm. in that same end zone, on the right. same side of the field. I'm telling you, man, it, it was a catch to win the Super Bowl. Um, of course, Super Bowl 43, San Antonio Holmes making, I think, now, yes, I'm biased, and yes, I'll say it's the best Super Bowl of all time because my Steelers played in it and because they won it, but also because I think San Antonio Holmes' catch is the greatest catch in Super Bowl history because it won the Super Bowl. Everybody likes to say it's Tyreek Hill catching the ball. From a difficulty standpoint, yes, Tyreek Hill's catch gets that. But it didn't win the Super Bowl. The Patriots still could have stopped them. Right. San Antonio Holmes won the Super Bowl. You're telling me that people don't think that that's the best touchdown catch in Super Bowl history? They don't. That's ridiculous. It got voted number two last year when they ranked all the Super Bowl <laughs> catches. It got ranked number two behind Tyreek Hill. No way. Yes. Because that catch, like you said, was to win and seal the deal. That was a first of all, it was an amazing throw. I mean, the drama behind it. I mean, it was like it barely went over the defender's fingertips. I mean, barely. And then for uh, holds to have that kind of focus, that kind of concentration to catch it with two feet in, not like college with one foot in, but two. I mean, you had to have both feet in. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the best catch in Super Bowl history. And I mean, the still- other catch was more kind of a lucky catch. Oh, it stuck up there. Right. But Holmes' catch from Ben Rocknesberger was a skill. It was a beautiful thing. And I would put that catch over any other catch in Super Bowl history. I want you to debate me on that. I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, and to add to it, to add to the drama of that catch, LaVon, remember he dropped the touchdown on the play before. The exact play right. before on the other side of the field, he dropped it. It went through his hands. He right. won the game there. So to have the presence of mind to come back, and as he said <laughs> over and over, if you watch the, the highlights of that Super Bowl, he says over and over, you got to be great. Time to be great. That's what San Antonio said the whole time. To have yeah. the presence of mind to forget about just dropping the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. He just had just did it. To forget about it and come back on the next play and make what's arguably the greatest catch of Super Bowl history right after that tells you that that, that makes that catch even more more difficult because he had the presence of mind to forget about what just happened and go make a play over there. 
and I'm sorry, I'm with you, man. You can't argue with me on this. I have argued with football fans on this because they're all like, well, Tyreek was on his helmet and they were, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah they, but, play, they they played that a lot and they, they hype it up a little bit. But honestly, it's not even about me and you being Pittsburgh guys. Yeah. It's about the skill set that it took to make that catch. And like you said, especially after he just missed a touchdown, most guys, they might have they might have banged their head over that that miss. But for him to come back and to catch that thing in a, in the manner that he caught it, that takes a lot of guts, a lot of mental strength to do that. So I still I think I would argue unless somebody comes up with a better catch, that's the best catch that ever happened this football. Yeah, and so and that was a great moment because still, uh, I think yeah, make sure I'm correct on this. Yeah, because last year's would have been kind of to it, um, but Kansas City ended up getting the ball back and scoring again, so it wasn't as dramatic. But so the only two times in Super Bowl history that on the last drive of the game, their last drive of the game, they had to win the Super Bowl. It happened twice. Joe Montana in Super Bowl Twenty Three when he fined really? Taylor for the winning touchdown. Remember that one? Oh, my uh, God. I can't forget it. Yeah, and then Ben Roethlisberger to Santonio Holmes in Super Bowl Forty Three. The only two times in the 54-year history of the Super Bowl that a team on their last drive won the Super Bowl, not tied it, not forced it into overtime, you know, or anything like that, or win it, or, or win it on a game-winning field goal when the game's tied, but to be losing the game, right, mm-hmm. and then go win the game on that drive. It's only happened twice in Super Bowl history, and Super Bowl 43 was one of those times, um, and the other being Super Bowl 23. Yeah. It- it was an amazing catch, and you know, Super Bowl for football guys like ourselves, man, it's like Christmas again. It, it really, it, it is. really is. It's a game that you just fairly enjoy. You hope it's a great game, and I feel that this this week is going to be a fantastic matchup. You know, especially I mean, even between the two coaches, man, probably the two oldest coaches in the NFL, for them to be there, that's that. That says something. That says something about if you're good enough and you work hard, that age shouldn't really matter. Then also you look at it too. Well, I think this Super Bowl historic, there's some women that are there for the first time as active coaches and being involved with the team. To me, those are so many great storylines that you really can't write. And you can see the progression of the game of football and the power of where women are coming from. Like one of the officials is a woman, by the way. Exactly. You know, I imagine when they thought about Title IX, I wonder did they see this happen? Mm -mm. No, they didn't. There's no way. There's no way they saw what something like Title IX did for not only women, but people of color, and it changed the landscape of who you could be and who you were stereotyped to be. Because back in those times, people thought of women as as professionals only being teachers and nurses. Only 7% of the lawyers and doctors were women. Now it's basically on that 50%, um, that 50%. Now you got coaches that are women, and I can tell you that I think 
some of the best coaches are probably women as far as getting guys to do what I mean, single mothers do it all the time. That's called, <laughs> that's called coaching. Now. I was raised by single mothers, so I understand it. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're, you're seeing something as macho as football that's opening their doors to women coming in. To me, this is amazing. This is what our country should be about. It should be about those equal opportunities for everybody. Doesn't matter. If you can do the job, you can do the job. So all those guys are saying, well, uh, BA is done. Or Andy Reid, Philadelphia. Philadelphia let him go. They fired him. Look what he's doing now with a young quarterback. Not one of those older quarterbacks, but a young quarterback that he can relate to. So to me, it's, it's about the Super Bowl and the fanfare and all that. But this year's Super Bowl has more storylines than I have ever seen before in my lifetime. And I'm looking so forward to seeing it. Well, I'm glad you brought up Andy Reid. And we'll kind of go into that since you brought it up. And I think it's uh, you, you actually played for Andy Reid for, right. for a few years at, at Philadelphia, when you were at Philadelphia. First of all, tell me. Now, that's when Andy was a young head coach, um, mm-hmm. and so was just kind of getting his feet wet as a head coach. He had been a longtime coordinator with San Francisco and stuff like that. Um, but now he was actually being the head coach, and this was his team. And so what was it like for the early years of Andy Reid, and how have you seen him re- revolve as a head coach and, um, and, and where he's at now and what kind of head coach he is and why he's so successful? Well, I, I'm really a big Andy Reid fan. I'm also a BA fan too for certain reasons. But, you know, I was at the end of my career. And a lot of people might have not took a chance on me because I was a bigger guy for my position. But Andy Reid on a very good team sought out LeVon Kirkland and thought that, hey, you can make a difference on this team. The one thing I like about Andy Reid, not only is he smart as far as an X and O guy, but he's a good common sense coach. And what do I mean by that? I look at I look at a good high school coach. You know what a good high school coach does? A good high school coach knows that he got what he got, right? Mm-hmm. He was not recruiting or anything like that, even though some of them do do that. But you basically got the guys you got. From that standpoint, you know how to work with your personnel and what you can do and what you can't do. And I really believe that Andy Reid is one of the best common sense coaches in the NFL. Not only is he so smart from the X and O standpoint, but he understands where to put players in the right position. He's creative, but he's not... He's not saying, well, you're going to run my system or that's it. You know, either you do it my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. No, man. Andy Reid sees the sees the parts that he have, and he's going to make them successful. Look at every quarterback that he's had. Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick. I think he had Michael Vick. I'm not sure. Alex Smith. Alex Smith. He made those guys pretty successful. He really did. And – with what Patrick Mahomes brings to the table, his talent, 
Patrick Mahomes would not be as good, I guarantee you, without Andy Reid. Those first few years. He's only been in the league for three years. If he has somebody different than Andy Reid, they might not go with him like that. You know, they may not let him express himself because a lot of times some coaches, they want to control the whole thing. I think Andy Reid understands players and he knows how to use them. That's what I love about Andy Reid. And he's very efficient. Our practices at Philly were super efficient. There was, there was no wasted time. Um, the funny thing was, when I was with Pittsburgh, we used to run gassers at the practice on Wednesdays. Andy Reid never did that. He never did the conditioning. I even asked him as an older guy. I felt comfortable saying, like, why won't we condition after practice? He said, LeBron, we condition during practice. <laughs> he said, I want to get you to a point where you're playing a game every, every session that we have whether it's 707, 907, whatever drills they did. We're going to practice at a, at a game speed that's going to translate to the football field. So you don't really have to condition it. No, because you're already conditioning. That's why I know from a personal standpoint that Andy Reid should be in the Hall of Fame, and Andy Reid is one of the best coaches ever coach in the NFL. I'm an Andy Reid guy. Now, with that, you also coached under Bruce Arians when he was at Arizona, right? Right. So, what's what's um what's a BA like? What's he like as a coach? And 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 also a guy that keep in mind we talked about Super Bowl 43, the offensive coordinator in Super Bowl 43, the quarterbacks coach for the Steelers that year was Bruce Arians. So um so talk talk to me a little bit about Bruce Arians and what's what's he like as a coach. Bruce Arians is probably one of the best coaches to work under, point blank. That's why his coaching staffs always want to coach for because you know what he does? He understands how this, like some coaches love to work overtime, and they love to look for what I call ghosts. They search for ghosts. They're trying to find out every little thing they can possibly find out. Where Bruce, man, Bruce knows what he wants to do. And he understands that as an assistant coach, you don't have to stay in the office all day to create a game plan. And one of the cool things I like about Bruce, which is documented, he was always like, if your son or daughter has a recital or they have a football game and you're not there, then I'm going to fire you. Because he always felt like you can always come back if you want to. And he always felt like if you can get your work done, why are you staying there all night? <laughs> There's no reason to stay, especially now because it's not back in the day when you had to kind of break down the film, like literally when, you know, you had to really edit the film or whatever they call it, slice the film or whatever back in the day. Now you just go to the IT guy and say like, hey, can you give me all the first and 10 First and 10 runs in the last five games. Before you get back to your desk, bam, it's on your computer. So, honestly, you don't have to do all that. Well, at least Bruce didn't think it was necessary. So, I like the fact that Bruce had a balance to his coaches under him. He was basically like, work hard, get your work done, but spend time with your family. Not like Dabo Sweeney. Exactly. Because, really, Bruce... 
he would always say football's not. He's like football's football. It's it's gonna be here. So it was kind of funny that Briston Buckner was one of the coaches, and what Briston used to do was Briston was getting there about four thirty, and Briston was out of there by at least five thirty. He was gone. He'd be like deuces. He'd look at me like Kurt. I'm out of here. I used to get there at like 5.30 or so. Not as early as Princeton. But honestly, I was out of there by 7 o'clock. And you, it wasn't frowned upon. It wasn't looked down upon. Because as long as you got your work, you're good. You're golden. And then also what I like about Bruce, too, and some people give him a hard time, risk it, no biscuit. But that's life, man. you got to risk it. you you got to risk. you got to take some risk. If you don't take risk you will be in the same little space that you always are. So you got to take some risk. Prime example is that touchdown right before the half. Most coaches would have put that thing. You know, let's play it safe. What did they do? They went downfield. Touchdown. Changed the whole complexity of the game. So, just because I love Andy Reid doesn't mean I don't love B.A. I love both of those guys. <laughs> and for me, whoever wins, man, it's going to be a happy day for me. So, yeah, I love coaching under B.A. because he not only had a great feel for the game, he's an excellent play caller. But he taught me some things about the game, about situational football that as, you know, uh a growing coach that I didn't think about. Like, he thinks about it deeper. And I think the guys who can think about the game deeper, they are better at it. It's almost like, I'm using a lot of analogies here, but it's like the difference between getting a bachelor's degree and getting a master's degree, getting a doctorate. When you're getting a bachelor's degree, you're basically, you just want to remember the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You just remember, but a master's degree, you're kind of like evaluating and you're analyzing it and you can apply it. But a doctorate degree, now you're a creator. That's what BA and Andy Reid are. They have their doctorate in football. So they're able to create, apply, evaluate, all that stuff. They, they can do it all. And that's why even at the age where most people be like, oh, you can't coach anymore. Let's get some young guys in here. Let's get the guy who got his hair um, parked on one side, got it kind of fade. Let's get that young guy with a little grumpy beard. Let's get that guy. He's a young guy. <laughs> These guys got a little bit of belly on them, got some gray hair, but they can't be out coach. I know that much. So that's why I think B.A. is a special coach. And any reason special because they got their doctorate degree where everybody else is working on their masters. Those two guys got their doctorate degree. You know what? You know, I always hear everybody talk about who the best coach is and in, in, in football history. Um, and obviously Vince Lombardi, no doubt. That's why the, you know, the, the, the trophies named after him um, and all that. However, I think what people don't realize and, I mean, he's considered one of the greatest coaches of all time, but I can make a strong argument he is the greatest, is Paul Brown. And when you look Hello. at – Hello. Yeah, right? When you look at Paul Brown's 
coaching tree, right? And you look at how far and how advanced it is, even today. When did Paul Brown stop coaching in the, what, 70s? And look at, here we are sitting here about 50 years later, right? And you look at Bill Walsh, Chuck Knoll, those two guys coached under him. And look where, then look at the tree, coaching trees that fall under them, which all goes back to Paul Brown. Andy Reid was a Bill Walsh disciple and part of the West Coast offense there. And here he is in the Super Bowl, him trying to make himself a legacy head coach and be in the same status as a Paul Brown and a Bill Walsh. When I look at it and and you start following the trail, right, Paul Brown's got to be the best coach of all time because look at the influence he still has on today's game, right? Will, that's why me and you get along so well, dude, because Paul Brown is – the best coach to ever coach in the NFL. Because you know what? While everybody else is playing checkers, he was playing advanced master chess. That's He was so way ahead of the game, it was totally ridiculous. And the only thing I would say, look it up. Look at all, all what he brought to the table as coaches, where other coaches kind of followed those trends. And that was Years ago, you know, everybody usually thinks like, oh, now the innovations. Man, some of these coaches have coached back in the day, like Paul Brown. Those guys were, they're on a doctorate level. Those guys like Andy Reid and B.A., those guys, we we should call them professors (laughs) instead of our Dr. Um, Bruce, our Dr. Reid. Head coach is beneath them. It's beneath them. Mm-hmm. They are doctors in what they do. They got the experience. They got the know-how. And they understand how this game is played. They have been through all that. They got tenure and everything. They are doctors of the game. And Paul Brown is one of the, one of the biggest innovators of, of football. You don't have somebody like Paul Brown, it may take another 20 years to get football to where it is right now. Mm-hmm. He advanced football way ahead his time. He did. When football back in that day was kind of an ugly game in a lot of ways. He reinvented it. He created it. He created a system that people still use today. Yep. It's kind of like Dick LeBeau in my mind as far as defense is concerned. Dick LeBeau wrote the Bible for the 3-4. And only thing to make your life better on defense is just to read the Bible. <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know. I bet you heard that a lot, did you? <laughs> that's why you I heard that song in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, that's great. But you think. never heard anybody refer to it the way I just did. No, never heard. Never heard it referred to that way. No, and you're right. Dick LeBeau, great. That's a great example because Coach LeBeau, you know, when you look at today's football and how defenses try to scheme it up, um, even a guy like Brent Venables here at the college level, there's a lot of Dick LeBeau's systems, and uh, 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 what should I say, touch, is on even Clemson's defense when you look at it and, and how Brent Venables attacks teams with the spread because – Man, if it wasn't for Dick LeBeau and how he brought this zone scheme defense in, I don't know if defenses could even handle what they can handle now 
with these spread offenses, right? I mean, this is just a defenses couldn't handle the West Coast. No, that's nobody why he invented the West Coast. That's why those um, that fire zone was a part of it mm-hmm. to stop the West Coast. Which <laughs> defenses would still be stuck on the West Coast? There would be no spread because there'd be no reason for it. Right. There'd be no reason for the spread. So, yeah, man, you, when you get guys like that, man, they're just amazing, and they just they change the game. And people don't really know that. they, You know, we bite on a lot of fluff in football. And people are probably amazed that Andy Reid and B.A. are there. But those are some of the top guys, man. They are. They are. They're the top guys. It, it, it shows you a whole lot about knowledge and experience and why it's valuable. And it's good to see. It really is. It is wonderful to see. And, you know, um, now there is a Clemson spin to this Super Bowl more so than most years. There's uh, four former Tigers playing in this Super Bowl, three for the Kansas City Chiefs and Sammy Watkins um, and Dorian O'Daniel and Brashad Breeland. And mm-hmm. then over for the um, Tampa Bay is going to be Bradley Pinion, their punter, um, who's also the holder too. And it's kind of funny. He actually – It'll be interesting, LeVon, if this game goes down to Ryan Suckup having to win the Super Bowl, that Clemson and South Carolina will play a big role in it in the sense that the holder will be a Clemson guy and the kicker will be a South Carolina guy. It could be very interesting that that connection could happen in a Super Bowl. I mean, it could happen um, in a game that we think is going to be pretty tight. So, But it's pretty cool, though, to see that uh, four former Tigers are in the Super Bowl, kind of carrying on the tradition, if you will. Um, one's going to win it. Um, one side's going to win it. Um, so, uh, so definitely a Clemson influence is going to de- decide the outcome of Super Bowl. And last year, you know, and so I kind of ask you, you know, kind of looking at that, like memorable moments for Super Bowls. Now I know you have your own personal moment. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's still one of the big moments is you making that, um, that sack on Troy Aikman on third down that got the ball back to the Steelers with a chance to win the game in Super Bowl 30. Um, I'll never forget that. That was a huge play. I remember standing up saying, yeah, that's a Clemson guy right there. That's a Clemson guy making that play. Um, so that's a special moment for me because um, as a growing up a Clemson guy and all that, seeing you, who now has become a friend of mine now, even more so, making a memorable play in the Super Bowl. Um, but then also William Perry's touchdown in Super Bowl right. 20 um, is definitely one I think all Clemson fans remember. And then last year, you know, People forget about two of these plays in the Super Bowl, but Bashaw Breeland makes an interception early in the game yes. that kind of changed the momentum of that game and allowed Kansas City to go down and score a touchdown. And then later in the game, against a future Hall of Fame cornerback, Sammy Watkins made look human in right. Richard Sherman and made this move and got wide open for what turned out to be uh, the catch that set up the game-winning touchdown. Sammy, mm-hmm. and to me – those are the moments I remember. Those two moments add on to yours um, as, you know, great moments for me in Super Bowl history. Outside of your own, which is an awesome one, wh- mm-hmm. which ones do you, that have Clemson influence? Oh, man. I, I think seeing William Perry running for a touchdown. I mean, I felt bad about Walter Payton. He should have had an opportunity. But to see someone from South Carolina win the Super Bowl, was tremendous to me. Then I also look at the Giants, you know, they had Harry Carson, Kennard, those guys. Mm-hmm. Somebody Andy from my home state, Andy. Yeah. 
So anytime I think you take pride when you know somebody, even if they didn't play for your school, but if they played for South Carolina, you know, the state of South Carolina, that was big. So Charlie, see, Waters. Huh? Charlie Waters played for Dallas. Charlie Waters. And even to see Stanford Jennings run a, run a kickoff all the way back. The guy's from Thurman. I played with his brother. Amazing. You know, later on, I get to play with Keith. Mm-hmm. And your brother was the one. I, I watched him, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, he's going to Disney World. I don't know if they did Disney World back then. <laughs> they did. They did. I was like, oh, my God. And that guy's from, you know, he went to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. So normally the ones that touch you the most are the ones that you, you know the person, you know. And for me, it's going to be, like, I know that coaching staff um, from – from my days in Arizona, I, I, I mean, Andy Reid, I've talked to Andy Reid, even when I was with Arizona, you know, he always comes at me, LeVon Kirkland. And, <laughs> I mean, so it's going to be hard for me because usually I think the ones that touch you the most are the ones that you have some sort of a relationship with. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. But, yeah, I think seeing William the Refrigerator Perry run in, I mean, that was big. That really was. That's, that's cool you say it's the guys you have personal connections with uh, that, that do that as well because, um, you know, Sammy Watkins was a guy that, you know, we got to talk to a lot in the media um, when he was at Clemson. And so to see that young man who um, I did several stories on during the time that he was at Clemson, had that success into – and last year it was it was special because a lot of people doubted Sammy, right? Because he's had these injuries and things of that, whether he could stick it out and what kind of impact is he gonna make in NFL and you know for, for him to make the play of the game against a future Hall Hall of Fame guy, and we all know Richard Sherman's gonna be in the Hall of Fame. Um that just that's just awesome, you know to see a Clemson guy go up there and make that kind of play in the Super Bowl. And then I'll take it one step further. I didn't know this, and I'm going to do a story on this uh, at some point. Um, and, we'll, and then we'll get out on this. But did you know the you know what the greatest play in NFL history is, right? No, I don't. Well, it's the greatest play. The Immaculate Reception. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the greatest play. I mean, I think most people agree that's the greatest play in, Super Bowl, in oh, the man. NFL era, history. So did you know – that a Clemson player played a huge role in that play. How so? A guy named tight end named John Mackin, who uh, McMackin, excuse me, who played for Clemson um, in the late '60s under Coach Howard. He was on that Steelers team and was on the field and made what turned out to be a huge block that allowed Franco to run down the sideline. Now the right. Raiders like to say that he it was an illegal block in the back, but. I didn't see that. I saw it was a clean, pretty clean block. The and Raiders are still crying about that play. I know they are. And so, anyway, John McMackin, he, you know, he made the play. He made the block that allowed Franco Harris because he doesn't make that block. There's no doubt Franco Harris gets tackled, mm-hmm. but he makes the block and it frees him. So a Clemson guy played the role in one of the in the biggest play in super in this in the NFL history, not just Super Bowl era, but in the NFL era, and um, it happened to be for our Steelers, of course. <laughs> Of course. of course. So I like to bring that up, man. Hey, LeVon, this was fun, dude. Uh, first of all, before we get out of here, who do you got winning the Super Bowl? Ooh, gosh, man. I, I think the harder parts, I do want to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win it, but I, I feel like Kansas City's going to pull it off. Yeah. 
I do. I know, man. There's something about this. That guy, number 12, has yeah. burned me so many times. That you just don't want to go against him. I just don't want to go against him, man. And I because of that, I just think this is all. This is why he came to Tampa. Yeah. I think he wanted to come here to go and win the Super Bowl and to do it at what is now his home stadium, by the way, and to prove to to, uh, to New England that he never lost it. And I I think he goes off into the sunset. I think he would win the Super Bowl, and I think Tom Brady retires. Which that's what I think is going to happen. That could possibly happen, and then they'll put a statue in two places: Tampa Bay and New England. He'll be the first player to have statues at two different venues. It would be crazy, but yes, you're right. <laughs> All right, man, it's been right, fun, man. We're going to get on out of here for uh, Levar Kirkland. I'm Will Vandervoort. We'll see you next time on uh, uh, the Clemson Insider. Excuse me. <laughs> you can come in with the Clemson Insider, our website, my website. Um, but we'll see you next time on Inside Clemson Football with Levon Kirkland. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.